The scripture reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to start today with an odd question. Show of hands. How many of you have ever milked a cow? Wow, a lot. Of, somebody stood up. They were very excited. I was excited for you as well, ma'am. About half of you. That's incredible. The 9 o'clock, 25% max. When I was 7 years old, I got to milk my first cow. I grew up in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Many of you did as well. The rest of you were privileged. Um, <laughs> so I milked a cow. I was at my, my great uncle Mervyn's farm, and he had cattle. And he said, do you want to milk a cow? And I remember fond memories with my uncle Mervyn and my sister with a big steel pail milking a cow. That was a tender moment. Tender. Beautiful. Fast forward few decades. And I, uh, I, I was doing something with my boys. For those of you who don't know, I got three boys. And uh, they're, my oldest is 13, 11, and 10. And we have a tradition in the Harnett household that when you're about to go into grade six, there is a rite of passage that you must go through. It's called a man trip. I take my boys out into the woods, just them, one of them and one, and one of me. <laughs> And we have a man trip. And there's all sorts of challenges. You have to make a fire. You have to set up shelter. You have to cook a meal. Man things. Urgh. You have to grow in courage, strength, love. It's beautiful. So a couple of years ago, I was out there with my oldest son, who's now 13, grade 8. And he was heading into grade 6. And uh, we were sleeping in the tent, had our first night. It was wonderful. Second day, great. We go to bed. Uh, in the middle of the night... I hear this, and a whole bunch of branches breaking. Uh, at that moment, it sort of went from a man trip into a little boy trip. <laughs> and I did what every good father would do. I heard this noise. I'm like, there's something dangerous out there in the dark. So I rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> a few hours later, the noise is back. It's louder. I hear, I go, oh my gosh, we're out in Patty's Flats, Brad Creek area. There are bears out here. And, and then I hope, 
I start hoping, I go, it might be my son snoring on a man trip. That would be great. And then I hear this, dad? <laughs> and I go, Josh? He goes, yeah? Do you hear that? Yes. I'm like, stay here. So I unzip the, the tent. I poke my head through and I go, what is it? And then I see an army of cows <laughs> on our campsite. They hung out there for hours. They wouldn't leave. None of them were bulls. They were all the types of cows you could milk. <laughs> they were terrifying. They were, they were like looking at us, eyeballing us. There was a baby cow, which made it even more terrifying. I'm like, Josh, do not go near the baby cow. <laughs> what can happen? If I go, what is the connection, Kyle? Help me out here. Here's what's interesting. Many of us in the room, many of us watching online, not all of us, uh, grew up with a picture of Jesus. Many Canadians, if you don't go to church, you have a picture of Jesus that he's, he's tender, he's compassionate, he's got a flowing robe and long hair and a little lamb in his arms. And he's really tender. And very few of us have a picture of Jesus where he's terrifying, where you wouldn't mess with him. Oh, see, see many Canadians, whether they're uh, people of faith or not, if they have a picture of God, it, it, there's a terrifying God, but he's not very tender. And what we're going to see today, and what you, we ha had in our text, was this, a terrifying and tender Jesus. And for some of us, what we'll see is this, is actually there's part of our soul that's looking for a terrifying Jesus, a terrifying Savior. And at the same time, there's another part of our heart, soul, that we're looking for a God of great tenderness and mercy. So if you're here and you're exploring faith, uh, our hope is this, that you'd see Jesus, like the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of, of a Hallmark card. And for many of us, we've been in church for a long time and been the church for a long time, might be a, a day to revisit parts of Jesus that we sometimes avoid. Come on, some of us, we love tender Jesus. And some of us, we love terrifying Jesus. But today what we'll see is they come together. So that means I'd invite us to pray. We say this all the time. Prayer is speaking to God and listening for his voice. So I invite you to pray with me. And if you're here and you're exploring faith, I would invite you to say, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself? Or if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? So let's pray together. God, some of us have a, a picture of you that is wildly incomplete. I've had it. Many of us are walking with that right now. And yet, Jesus, this picture you give us of who you are is both incredibly strong and a bit scary and unbelievably kind and comforting. And you claim, Jesus, you have rest for the soul. There are people in this room, Lord, who have never experienced that rest. Today, would you give them your great grace and reunite them to God? God, some of us... Uh, we're afraid of your anger. Some of us were uncomfortable with your love. Would you speak to all of us today? And I pray for those who are weary that you give them rest for their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 20. Uh, a little context for you. We've been working through the entire book of Matthew verse by verse over the past couple of years. 
And where we just were was uh, in the movement of Jesus, there was this man named John the Baptist. And he was actually leading like a, a renewal movement in his culture. So there was a renewal of faith, a renewal of uh, uh, righteous activity, good activity, care for the poor. And, and thousands of people were being influenced by this man named John, who was actually the cousin of Jesus. And John, he actually ends up getting arrested because he speaks truth to power in his culture. And so John's, or Jesus' cousin John is in jail. And so some of the followers of John come to Jesus and go, hey, are you really who you said you are? Because John, it seems, is going through some form of surprise and disappointment with Jesus. And so Jesus, he talks about John. And then after John goes away, uh, he talks about what John was like. And then, where we ended off last time, uh, Jesus talked about this. He said, he starts talking about the generation, the people that he's interacting with. And some of, some, some of this, the people that Jesus interacted with, rejected him outright. And they also rejected John. They said John was too harsh. John was too, uh, too intense. John fasted too much. He was out in the desert. He had too much time in solitude. He had too much judgment. And conversely, they had this opposite criticism of Jesus. Their criticism of Jesus was, he went to too many parties. He ate too much. He had wine. He laughed. He smiled. He had God's grace for people. We don't like that either. And that's where Jesus picks up. So here's where we pick up, and we're look at the terrifying Jesus. It says this. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So a couple of things. One, uh, Jesus is doing something that is uh, fairly uncommon in his ministry, and that is this. He, he does it often, but, but it's not his routine. And he comes and he's denouncing people. He's, he's saying, woe to you, and this word there for woe uh, actually is, is a word of condemnation. Uh, in fact, in, the, in strong language, I don't want to you know, get too vulgar here, it's actually a word of damnation. So Jesus, he's, he's actually talking to these three cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. Now, uh, if you don't know, here, here's what you need to know. Uh, this was Jesus' hometown. This is Jesus', Jesus hometown. It was a tri-city area that composed one major region. That's where Jesus grew up. In some ways, it's kind of like the greater Toronto area. You go, it's sort of all Toronto, but it's not Toronto. But this was like that, except really small, like 1,000 people total between all three, maybe, maybe 2,000. And Jesus is going to do this. He's going to go, woe to you, condemning. What's peculiar about that is you need to see the absolute courage of Jesus. There's about the same amount of people that come here on a Sunday morning. Do you imagine if I got up here and I was like, woe to you, foothills. You're all going to you know where. You go, woe to you, Kyle. You might not be here very long. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's actually condemning these cities. And you go, that's not very Jesus-like. But apparently it is. And then he says this. Why is Jesus acting this way? Well, one is this, because they actually have experienced the most miracles. So again, here's what you need to know. Um, these are the people, this is where Jesus did most of his brilliant work, most of his teaching, most of his healing, most of his loving, most of his serving. These are the people who received the most grace from Jesus. 
And yet, it says this, that they had not believed. Now, why does that matter? Well, here's why. Uh, Many people, many Calgarians, don't go to church, go to church. Uh, Many people have this question about God. If God's really real, why doesn't he just sort of pull back the veil? Why doesn't he just tear open the sky and go, hello, I am God, believe in me. I was hoping you'd laugh. (laughs) Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he just reveal himself? Well, here's what's fascinating. He did. And yet, and people saw. And they did not believe. I'm thankful for the work of a guy named uh, Dr. Tim Keller. He talks about this. What we're going to see in this text is what theologians will call the nature of unbelief. The nature of unbelief. And this is what gets Jesus so incensed. The nature of unbelief is not ignorance. So if you're here and you're exploring faith, and you go, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough evidence, data, thought to make a decision one way or another about trusting in Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about people who saw and yet would not believe. Because you all know the old saying, seeing is believing. No. Not with unbelief. And unbelief is always the beginning of the end of a relationship. Unbelief is always the beginning of the end of a relationship. Uh, let me give you an example. So, uh, you know, this past week it was Valentine's Day. And some of you, some of you got a gift. Some of you went on a date. And my wife and I, we went on a walk in the snow. It was windy and cloudy. But we did it. We wanted to do something. But some of you got a gift. And it was really nice. But here's what happens. For some of us, some of us in the room, the cynical kind, you went, you only did that because it was... Valentine's Day. You didn't do it because you love me. Here's what's interesting. We do that in all kinds of places. Right? We, sometimes somebody pays you a compliment and you're like, oh, you only told me that because you have something you want from me. Some of you laughed. Okay, good. I'm not the only skeptical person. See, it's interesting when we have this unbelief that somebody is doing something for our good in the midst of it, it's the end of the relationship. Because if you can love someone and they go, you only did that to get something out of me, then you can't love them well. That's sort of what unbelief is like. See, Jesus was there and he was revealing what God is like to the people and they go, we don't believe you. This is happening in Calgary and in Canada. And, and if you're here, we want you to see what Jesus is like because what Jesus is going to say is when you see me, you'll see exactly what the Father's like. That Jesus, in some miraculous way, he's God become a human so we could understand what God is like. So he's showing us. God's come for us. He didn't just rip open the sky. He came and was born so we could have a relationship with him. And yet they rejected him routinely. And Jesus goes, this I cannot allow to stand. So he says, woe to you. And then he says, talks about Tyre and Sidon, which is interesting. Uh, Tyre was an ancient city, uh, a great merchant city. Lots of ships. It was a shipping area, super wealthy. And it was actually an area uh, that was ruled by the Philistines. And then later the Phoenician Empire. The Philistines were actually the enemies of God's chosen people. And so they fought. And so in the ancient mind, 
Tyre was a terrible place. In fact, uh, in this book called Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, it talks about the king of Tyre. And in the ancient world, your king represented you, sort of the, what the king was, the people were, and what the people were, the king was. They were sort of interrelated that way. And so the king of Tyre, in Ezekiel 28, he's actually called the devil. He's like likened to the devil. You can go read Ezekiel 28, and it talks about this, this king of Tyre, and then it like transitions into talking about this horrible, rebellious angel that we now call the devil. So Jesus is going, hey, those of you who saw and did not believe, you're worse than the devil. Like, you're just like him. Whoa. Well, what does that mean? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one, it means this. That the people who saw Jesus and yet said, we're out. He's going to be tough with you. There's a woe. There's a judgment. Uh, we'll see this with Capernaum as well. It'll happen again. Uh, so let's talk briefly about the judgment of God. How do we deal with the judgment of God? Uh, some of us, like lots of Canadians, don't like the judgment of God. Right here, Jesus is going like, woe to you! Like yelling at a thousand people. You didn't believe. And he's like, you're, you're going to be brought down. You're going to hell. By the way, that's, that's where, what he's going to say next about his hometown, Capernaum. And we go, I really don't like that. That's very unpleasant. That's not very kind. Why does Jesus pronounce this curse on them? Here's why. Because they're not in hell yet. They haven't been judged yet. There's still time. See, one of the reasons that Jesus is so strong, so terrifying, so intense, and one of the reasons why the Bible is this way, is so that we might have time to change. It's actually a great act of love. We, we heard Elaine's testimony this morning. that she went to the doctor and they did all these scans and they gave her this terrible news. You have a tumor in your heart. But the, the beauty of that, the mercy of that, the kindness of that, is that it actually gave her a chance to get medical intervention or even better. Divine intervention, divine healing. But had she not known what was going to happen, it still would have happened regardless. And so Jesus, he's showing this great kindness to his hometown region. He says, look, do you think he wanted to say all that? Do you think Jesus was like, you know, it's a good, good Saturday. I get up and yell at the people I love and know most. No. And so God's wrath and his judgment are actually an invitation to come home. Secondly, another thing to take from this is, uh, we'll keep going, it says this, verse 23. You, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Uh, Hades, you can also translate that word hell. Uh, one day, today we don't have time, one day we'll go into a great big theology on hell. It will be awesome. No, you'll go down to hell. For if the miracles that were performed and you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Uh, so here, here's another thing for us to take. All these people had received more grace. And it seems that Jesus goes, it's going to be worse for you on judgment day than for others. These people have been condemned already. Why? Here's why. Uh, the more grace you receive, the more responsibility you have. The more grace you receive from God, the more responsibility you have to live in light of it. 
So here's what that means for those of us who, who go, I, I've seen God move in my life. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his forgiveness. Uh, there is in some way at the judgment some recompense that we have to, to actually show God that we actually responded to it. So here's a great danger for us, Foothills, those of us who, who have come to church regularly. If you've come to church regularly, you've seen God, you've heard his good news, you've heard about his kindness, his forgiveness, his acceptance, his love, his power, his beauty, there is now a responsibility to respond for you and I. There's a responsibility. So let's talk briefly about unbelief, the thing that gets Jesus to become so very terrifying. One is this. What is unbelief? Again, it's not a lack of evidence. Unbelief is a stubborn refusal to live in light of reality. So if you're here and you've never embraced Jesus, here's what you need to know. Today's an amazing day to do that. Today's an amazing day to go, could it be that God himself loves me? Then could it be that God himself is warning me? And could it be that God himself is calling me to have a relationship with him, to be right with him? And the answer is yes. And so today, if you've never, never opened up your heart, if you've never had the Father revealed to you, today's a great day to go, Jesus, I don't even know what all this means, but I want in. Help me have mercy. That'll be in the tender part. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about those of us who have been in church for a while, who have a relationship with Jesus. What does this have to do with you and me? Well, here's a question. When was the last time you experienced God himself going, woe to you, Kyle? If you haven't, if you haven't, when was the last time you heard God say, you're acting just like Satan, Kyle? You know, that's what your prayer life is like? No, not all of it, but some. When was the last time God told you that what you're doing is deadly wrong and it's deadly serious and you must change? That's what this text says we might need. Here's why. Because some of you, if, if you paused and prayed and reflected, maybe this afternoon, maybe even now, go, God, what in my life is awful, horrific? What incenses you? What enrages you? What is like the devil himself? If you got an answer, here's the great news. You could change. You could change. And if something came to mind and God was like, this part of your life is demonic, you're in good company, here's why. In a handful of chapters, we're going to see this guy named Peter, who is the lead leader in the movement of Jesus and his followers. And Jesus himself says, get behind me, and calls him Satan. So here's a question for reflection. Where do you not trust him? Where have you seen God come through and yet not believed? I'll give you, I'll give you a fun one for me. Uh, a number of years ago, I had to go through a great big journey on this. Uh, there was a time in my life where it was really hard to, to trust God for finances. Like when my wife and I, when we were first married, I was a youth pastor uh, in a smaller church, uh, and we had babies just coming out of everywhere. <laughs> and, and we were just tight financially. And it was hard to trust God that we were going to make it. Like, it, it was just that tight. And yet, somehow over and over and over, we saw the kindness of Jesus show up. We saw him work in like tremendous ways, miraculous ways. And so we had this, this great insight that God provides for us so we could trust him. And yet about five years ago, I went through a season where financially had gotten really tight again. Those little babies had become small children who were eating up all of my money. 
Some of you laughed hard. You know. And I started to have thoughts like this. I'm on my own. God's real, but I got to take care of myself. Oh, see, that's the heart of unbelief. Where have you seen God move but still don't trust him? Where have you seen him move and still don't trust him? Today's a great day to go. I'm going to trust you again. So Jesus, he's terrifying. And yet he does so for our own good. He does so for our own good. One other thing. Now let's talk about these unrepentant towns. One other thing you need to note. Uh, these were highly religious areas. These were Jewish people who had this law, had this list of how you interact with God, how you make them happy. And so Jesus found people who were highly religious and yet had no belief, a heart of unbelief, a power that overcomes evidence. And Jesus condemns them. That's really important to understanding the rest of this text because Jesus is going to transition to say, how do you have a relationship with God? And here's what it looks like. You can't earn your way into a relationship with God because it means you don't trust him to be good and loving and kind and for you. See, if you're always appeasing God, if you're always working your way into his good books, then one day you'll fall out of it again and you'll never have a relationship. See, the heart of unbelief is always the end of relationship. And all throughout the Bible and all throughout the life of Jesus, Jesus came and said this, God is for you. God is for you. God is so for you that he sees your cosmic debt and goes, I'll take it on myself. God is so for you that he sees all your faults, flaws, failures, brokenness, lies, greed, slander, gluttony, drunkenness, drug abuse, cutting, suicidal thoughts. He sees it all and he goes, I love you. But religion says you have to earn that love. And if you have to earn that love, then it means he doesn't love you. And that's the heart of unbelief. And Jesus will always be terrifying to that. So now let's talk about the tender Jesus. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to, the child, to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Here's what's interesting. Jesus starts talking about how do you have a relationship with his Father? So, so what you need to know about the Christian faith is this. God forever. Christians believe that God is this mystery of relationship and oneness. So Christians, we have this concept of the Trinity, that God exists forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three and yet one, and one and yet three. And we hold this and we go, this is a mystery. It's a profound mystery. But what it means, implication-wise, is that God forever has existed in relationship, loving relationship. And that means the very essence of God is love. See, if you just have one who creates everything, then that one created out of his power. And the fundamental nature of God would be power. Now, God, we believe God is all-powerful. But if God forever was existing in harmonious, beautiful, perfect relationship... And unity means he makes out of love. Christians forever have said this, God is love. That's his essence. That's what God is really like. So Jesus is talking about his father. The son is talking about the father. And he, he starts thanking God. In the midst of this woe, 
right? So these verses are inextricably linked. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, because you hit all this stuff from the people who are really smart, the really intelligent ones, the really honorable ones. And what, who did you give it to? You gave it to the little kids. In a handful of weeks, we'll talk about what little children are like in the kingdom of God. But, but here's the big idea. In the ancient world, children were considered unwise, useless, and in the way. Here's how you become a Christian. You come to God and you go, I don't know how to figure all this out. I don't even know how to manage myself perfectly. I don't know how to manage my conscience. I don't know how to do everything right. Help. And then that's when Jesus moves from terrifying to tender. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here's the big idea. If you're here and you've never embraced faith in Jesus, the great news is this. Jesus loves to show people the Father. Jesus loves to reveal what God is truly like because many of us, we live with a God who's like Santa Claus or God who's like a policeman. But Jesus goes, no, he's not that. He's better than both. He's more holy and honorable and good than you could ever imagine. And he's more loving and tender and compassionate than you ever dared to dream. And I want to show him to you. So if you're here or you're watching online and you've never, ever, ever experienced God as good and kind and as a father, today, today, today you can ask Jesus, Jesus, show me the Father. Bring me to him. And here's the thing, if you've forgotten what God is like, because what happens, here's a great secret about church, if you're new to church, at church people, we forget what God is really like. We forget. And today you go, Jesus, reveal him once more. And he will, and he loves to do that. And here's what he says after he talks about that the only way, the only way into the family of God is by a great gift, through his love, not through your good works. He then says this, verse 28, come, come to me. These are super famous verses. It's funny how they come right after condemnation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I heard a, a pastor who uh, I'm one step of connection away from, but, and he said this, I'm not a street preacher yet. He's like, but if I were, I would hop on the C train. His version, his city, but I'm, I'm stealing it. He said, I would hop on the C train and I would begin to preach and I'd go, Calgarians, I know why some of you are so tired. Some of you, you've gotten up today to go to a job that you do not enjoy, to make money with the false promise and the hope that one day you'll have happiness and one day you'll be free. And I know that your soul is exhausted and in your inner person you are saying, there must be something different for me. It can't just be live and work and breathe and play and die. And Jesus Christ says, come to me. You're so weary. Some of us are tired. Some of us are weary. Well, it might not be about working a job you hate. It might be about finding your identity in something that never feels full. So anything you place all your identity on, you'll eventually crush or it will crumble. Even if you're a parent, if all the weight of your soul sits on top of your children, you'll crush them. 
Because they're going to let you down. Here's the other crazy part. If your identity is in being a parent, one day your children leave. They leave. They can't hold that weight. Your career can't hold the weight of your soul. But Jesus can. His rest. His rest. Have you experienced the rest of Jesus? Then he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Some will say gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a couple of different interpretations of what is this yoke. A yoke was a thing that you put on someone or something in order to carry a load. So one of the ways that this has been taught and this, this idea of you know, take my yoke upon you uh, has been preached in church 101 times. So if you're brand new to church, uh, this is 102. One way that it was in classically interpreted is this. You'd have a, a pair of oxen who would carry a, a, a plow. Sorry, they would pull a plow to break up ground. And what you would do is you would take a wise, strong, honorable, awesome ox, and you'd pair it with a young, stupid, weak, pathetic, useless one. <laughs> representing me. Or you. The other one represented Jesus. And what, what will sometimes be taught is that Jesus is actually the one who walks side by side with you and actually can lead and guide you. And as you follow him, you begin to become strong and beautiful and wise and good. And that's true. There's merit in that. Another way this has been interpreted uh, is this, uh, that a yoke was something that people would use. So we'll throw a picture of it up on a screen. People still use these today. Uh, to carry loads. And what it does is it allows you to carry more and it makes the load lighter. And actually what was interesting was uh, the ancient rabbis, the Jewish teachers of this law, all these rules, all these ways you'd live with God, they said that this, that the Torah, that the instructions, the teaching of God was like a yoke that you had to carry. And so some people will say this, Jesus actually comes and he goes, I fulfilled the law for you. And there is a burden and there is a responsibility for you to live out, but my burden and my responsibility is easy for you to bear. Here's why. In order to keep the burden of the law, in order to carry the yoke of the law, you had to complete all of the law, 613 rules and regulations that you had to live out with perfection. That's a heavy load. Religion is always a heavy load. And Jesus Christ came and he actually lived it. That's the astonishing claim of Christianity. That a perfect, moral, pure, morally pure life was lived by Christ. And we murdered him. That's the big claim. That we saw his so much goodness that we couldn't handle our own ugliness. So we tried to put out his light. But actually the great plan of God was this, that his perfect, beautiful life he would actually trade a yoke with you and with me. He'd say, let me take the yoke of the law and I will carry it for you. Let me take the yoke of the condemnation that comes if you don't fulfill the law. See, what was interesting about this law, all these religious instructions was this. If you did not live it out, you were under a curse from God. In fact, there was this old line, hundreds of years before the life of Jesus, that said this, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. In humanity, we have this burden to bear of a perfect life if we want to walk our way to God and none of us will make it. 
And Jesus, he lived it and he said, I'll take your yoke, you take mine. And so all of the goodness, beauty, and moral purity of Jesus can now be given to you. Because he was cursed so that you and I could be blessed. Jesus said, Father, curse me, not them. Have you received Jesus? Have you experienced his kindness? He is gentle and lowly in heart. Final thought. Listen to a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland. It's really wonderful. And he has this great line. I'm going to try and summarize it. He talks about the gentleness and lowliness of Jesus. Here's what it means. That Jesus, there's no one too low for Jesus. There's no one too broken for Jesus. There's no one too dirty for Jesus. There's no one with a past too sordid for Jesus. There's no one who's been too evil for Jesus. There's no one too arrogant, too proud, too stubborn, too foolish for Jesus to save. Jesus is gentle and lowly. So if you're here and go, God could never love me, here's the great news. Jesus goes, he does. And the picture of it was found on the cross. So let's close. We're going to have three different prayers. One will be this, to embrace Jesus, all that he is, to receive all that he has. Some of us, we have a neutered Jesus. He's terrifying or he's tender or he's kind, but he's not strong. So we're going to have a prayer for that. Some of you can embrace faith in Jesus for the very first time. Some of us, we have an unbelieving heart about a certain area of life, maybe all of life. Today's a great day to God. Jesus, I'm sorry. And the third prayer is simply this. If you're here and you go, I need tenderness for Jesus, in about one and a half minutes, we're going to ask you to raise your hand and go, Jesus, I need some of your tenderness, and we'll have a prayer for you. So I invite you to pray alongside of me and with me. If you're here, and you go, today I need to embrace Jesus. Some of you for the first time. Some of you need to embrace the full Jesus, the real Jesus, who's both terrifying and tender and so much more. If that's you, this prayer is for you. You can pray alongside of me. Jesus, I'm sorry for rejecting you. You might talk to him about what you're rejecting. For some of you, it might be his love. Some of you, it might be his tenderness. Some of you might have just never received him. Here's the second half of the prayer. And today, I want to receive all that you are. Please reveal the Father to me. For some of you, it's in greater measure. For some of you, the first time ever. I want to know you. I embrace you. Embrace me, please. Second prayer, some of us, we have unbelief in our heart. You know it, I know it. God knows it. And some of us, we need to come to him and ask for forgiveness. Here's the prayer for that. Jesus, I have been unbelieving. I've seen you move. And I failed to trust you in, and you can fill in the blank. Speak to him. Some of us have failed to believe that he'll provide. Some of us, we've failed to believe that he's forgiven. Some of us have failed to believe that he's good. Or that he'd give us a relationship or a home. Or he'd look after our future or our kids. 
Jesus, forgive me. Third prayer and an invitation to a little courage. If you're here and you go, today I just need tenderness. I'm really weary. I need a gentle and lowly Savior. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand just as a sign of humility. I need that today. I'd love to just say a prayer for, for you. So come, Spirit of the living God, pray for those who are in desperate need of your tenderness. Would you pour out the peace of Christ? Spirit, would you pour out the tenderness of Jesus and the love of God? Would you settle hearts even now? Would you open hearts? And would you pour in your great kindness and mercy? And so, Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are gentle and lowly, that you are tender, and we thank you that you're terrifying so that we might experience your tenderness. We thank you that you warn so that we could hear your warning. We thank you that you call. And we come to you, and we look at you, and we love you, and we say that you are great and you're good, and we thank you for your mercy that sets us free. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.